Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show for America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this August 2011 episode, we're going to explore our roots around the world. First, we will start off with a check-in on the genealogy news with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad, who's got some new international records to tell us about. Then in the top tips segment, Sunny Morton will join me to share insight into ethnic organizations from her article, Culture Club, that's coming up in the October issue of the magazine. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots, Sunny will be back to talk about the Dutch research website, Jen Lias. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Jim Beidler is going to be here to share some tips from his Find Your German Roots course. And finally, we will check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who's going to be telling us about the upcoming virtual conference, a one-of-a-kind event, and she has some resource recommendations also for our international research. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy News with Diane Haddad. once again to uh, check in on the blogosphere, the genealogy blogosphere, and find out what's new and up and coming. And to do that, we're going to talk to the genealogy insider, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Well, first of all, we've got a kind of a timely item here. There is a contest going on. Tell us about that. Yes, that is our photo organization contest. And we know that people have at home boxes full of unorganized photos and maybe they're not labeled and it's kind of spilling out of whatever container they're in. Have you been looking in my closet again? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We are hoping that um, people will send us pictures of these photo messes and also a short little plea um, why they need photo organization advice and products. And then um, we're going to go through everything and pick the most desperate plea and the best picture of the worst mess. And then people can win archival photo supplies and also advice from our photo detective, Maureen Taylor. Oh, fantastic. Now I see that the grand pot prize is going to be $250 worth of archival quality photo organization supplies. So what you're saying is, is that huge mess that we've been staring at all these years is now going to pay off. Yes. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> when you think. Okay. So um, it looks like there's a deadline, August 31st, 2011. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. So I will have a link to your blog post on that. It's called, You Could Win Photo Organization Help. It's from August 3rd of 2011. So you'll have all the details, how to get a hold of Family Train Magazine, and enter the contest. Yep, send in those pictures. Wonderful. Now, of course, in this episode, we're also talking about our ethnic roots. And there are some new records, correct? Yes, there are from Family Search. Well, we can always count on them. <laughs> yeah, we can. And one thing that people might not realize is the extent of international records that they've been adding to their historical records site. Just a few. Um, a lot of countries in South America, Argentina, Brazil, um, Central America and the Caribbean as well, um, Austria, Belgium, um, the Czech Republic, England, Germany, France, India, which is one you often don't see records from, Poland, um, Sweden, even South Africa. 
wow, they've really been expanding. And you kind of have a tip for us, because I know with so many more records coming online, it gets more and more challenging, it feels like sometimes to to search for them. And of course, not all of them are indexed. So what's your tip for how we can get our hands on these? Right, because not all of them are indexed, um, that means that you can't just type in a name in their historical record search and come up with results in, in these record sets that are not yet indexed. So what people can do is scroll down a little bit on the Family Search homepage and they'll see a world map. And then you can click on a country on the map or click on um, a region. There's a list of world regions as well. And then you'll be taken to a page with just lists of the record sets that come from that region or country of the world. And then you'd click one of those titles of a record set and you can browse those historical records. Yeah, that makes so much sense to have it tied to the map because that's how they're all organized. So it's a quick visual way to just click, click, click your way and and get to a browsing section. Yeah. Great tip. Well, Diane has a blog post for you. It's called Family Search Adds Records and Launches YouTube Channel. That was also posted on August 3rd. So we'll have a link to that one as well to kind of get you started as as you go through this episode and get more and more jazzed about um, your ethnic Roots Research, and we've got lots of great tips for you coming up. Uh, Family Search is going to be a great place to go back and dig in for the records. Diane, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next month. Okay. Well, did you know that at the turn of the century, nearly a third of American men belonged to fraternal organizations? You know, these fraternal or ethnic organizations can be a terrific resource, but tracking them down can be a little bit of a challenge. So here to talk about her guide to ethnic organizations that'll be coming out in the October 2011 issue of Family Tree Magazine in the article called Culture Clubs is author Sunny Morton. Hi, Sunny. Hi there, Lisa. Thanks for having me back on the show. Oh, thanks for being here. I am super excited today to talk about these ethnic um, resources that we have that sometimes we're not even aware of. Um, I'm going to start by mentioning these fraternal organizations that you talked about. I'm going to talk about actually three different heritage organizations that you might tap into. And the first of these is an organization your ancestor may have belonged to himself or herself. Um, Really... Fraternal benefits organizations around the turn of the century, even um, mid-19th century, were very popular for our immigrant ancestors. Uh, They joined up with these little community groups that eventually became national umbrella organizations to have some socialization at local lodges, to have some death and burial benefits, and to eventually have... um, support with naturalization and all kinds of uh, life and health insurance benefits. So really these were the the earliest uh, forms uh, that our ancestors had of kind of seeing each other in in touch with each other. And they really assisted each other, didn't they? Sometimes in once they got over to America, uh, the organization worked together to to help finance and bring other people over from the old country. They really did, and as part of these small community organizations working together with those who still spoke their language, who still knew people back in the old country who wanted to bring them over, they didn't need to rely on anyone else in the United States to help their uh, their other family members come here. They could do it themselves. 
that's one thing that was fantastic about these um, benefits organizations that they had. These they were both social clubs and insurance clubs, which were really wonderful. And what's really wonderful for genealogists is that they left us some records. Oh, fantastic! I think that some of these records uh, would be tough to come by. Um, And sometimes they are, but they're a lot more available than you think they'll be, especially now that the the Internet gives us um, so many resources for finding some of these. Um, You can start by asking, uh, ask around your family. Ask whether whether Grandpa belonged to any sort of club, uh, any sort of uh, ethnic society. Look for old membership cards. Look for old benefit statements that might have come along with death and burial. Uh, check burial records, look at obituaries, cemetery records, uh, look at tombstones. Sometimes these clubs have their own insignia that would then go on the tombstones. And if you can find yourself a guide to interpreting the insignia on a tombstone, you may have found that your great-grandfather or great-grandmother belongs to a really cool ethnic organization that may have left behind some records. Now, in your article, when we, do you kind of give us a guide on how we track them down? Because we've, you know, we go through these different records and we, we think, hmm, I think this is the club that they were part of. Um, do you give us some tips on how to find where they are today and where the records are today? Absolutely. I have found that it is not unlike looking for the church your ancestor would have gone to. You can go about it two directions. You can look in old city directories, local history, and web searches to find the church nearest them that they probably would have gone to. Or you can look through old family records to determine what denomination or congregation they would have belonged to and then look for a church that matches that. The same thing holds true with these ethnic societies, which I think is pretty cool. It's a research skill we probably already have. So if you come across the name of a society, the first step is to find out whether it still exists. If there is still an administrative office, you can ask them about old records, which is really neat. And probably the easiest way to find out if the organization still exists and where the administrative office is, is to let your fingers do the work on the Internet. So if the organization no longer exists or you can't find its administrative office, the records might be with a regional repository, a historical society, an archive. You can run a Google search, again, or I give you a couple of different resources that you can use in my article. I really like um, a book called Records of Ethnic Fraternal Benefit Associations in the United States. Does that sound like it's just exactly the right thing? Sounds perfect. The other place you can consult is the Immigration History Research Center, which uh, collects a lot of records itself and may, even if they don't have that particular record set, they may be able to help you track it down. Now, there's these... um the genealogical records of the organizations that our ancestors belong to. But in your article, you were talking about that we can join these as well, too, can't we? We can. Some of these early benefits organizations have actually evolved into heritage and cultural societies, which are really exciting for those of us who two or three or four generations into our immigrant experience here have sort of lost touch with our roots. I think that happens to a lot of people. In fact, I, I opened the article by quoting a friend of mine who just complained that her family had no ethnic identity at all. They didn't <laughs> have any fun foods. They didn't have any fun traditions or holidays. And she felt the loss of that. 
So one thing you can do with these heritage and cultural organizations is personally reconnect with people who still have kept that collect that connection alive, the way of thinking, the way of celebrating, just the the way of being and and uh, the experience that comes from the old world, but also that comes from the experience of being an Italian American or a Jewish American, or it's a very unique uh, experience to have as an ethnic group within the United States. Yeah, that is such an enriching way to experience your family history. And, and as you say, maybe even pull some of those traditions and those, those foods and those celebrations back into our everyday lives. They really are. Let me tell you a little bit about what some of these ethnic organizations have to offer, because they're really fun. First of all, you might find um, a local or a regional ethnic organization either where you live now or where your ancestor lived at the time if there was a large ethnic presence there. So you might find them like in that setting, or you may find them nationally. There might be a national organization of Armenian uh, culture, that kind of thing. So you can look on, on multiple levels for a heritage organization, and then you can look for different types of things it has to offer you. If you're not quite interested in joining yet, or maybe it's in a distant part of the country that it wouldn't make sense for you to join, check out their website and their publications. I have picked up cookbooks. I have picked up video documentaries, all kinds of things that have really helped me understand my ancestors' immigrant experience without ever paying a membership fee. Oh, how fun. I mean, there's there's so many ways that we can tap into our heritage. And um, Sunny's article, Culture Clubs, in the October 2011 issue is just chock full. We've just touched on them here, not only how to track down the organizations to find the genealogical records, but how to get involved ourselves. And and these are all wonderful ideas. Can't wait to read the article. Sunny, thank you so much. And I know that you're going to be joining us a little bit later in the show to talk about another terrific website. So uh, we'll talk to you then in just a few minutes. Thank you so much. If you haven't searched for your ancestors from the Netherlands lately, it's time to take another look because they might just be a few clicks away. And Sunny Morton is back to tell us about a free website that serves up 15 million records covering about 61 million people. Welcome back, Sunny. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, now we're going to be talking about the website Genlias, which is part of the 101 best websites for tracing your roots. And of course, me not being a researcher of the Netherlands, I don't even have a clue if that's the right way to pronounce it. It could be Genlius or Genlias. Um, but I do know what the URL address is, and that is G-E-N-L-I-A-S dot N-L for the Netherlands. And then you put a slash E-N for English. It'll, it'll give it to us in the English language, correct? It absolutely will. And even if you just go to genlias.nl, you can click on English up in the upper right-hand corner and see a language that you can read. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, this is really the place to go for Dutch research. What are we going to find there? You'll find some amazing and exciting things. First, let me tell you, the Dutch, since about 1811, have really collected excellent civil register data, births, marriages, deaths on all residents, and even some that lived overseas in colonies. It's all there, some of it even a little earlier than 1811. The problem is that until about the 1930s, all of this data was kept locally in over a thousand locations. 
Oh, my gosh. Yeah, if you didn't know exactly where your ancestor was from, you wouldn't be able to find them even in the little country of the Netherlands. So really decentralized is what you're saying, just kind of spread out. It was really decentralized. That's what makes Genlaya such an amazing resource for those who are doing Dutch research. Things have changed in, in the, the data access in just a few years. Um, there's about 15 million civil register records in Genlaya's, and its goal is to um, put together all civil register data. They're working hard on it just in the past two years. They've added 3 million records. So they really are actively filling this with all the civil register data from every province and region of the Netherlands. All the major archives are participating. This is a huge centralized effort, and it's really exciting. And it looks like they're really devoted to it, and and they really partner with the archives in the area, correct? They really do. Um, You can go into the Genlias website and take a look at, at a list of participating archives, and it's really long. They're very proud of the fact that this is a, a multifaceted effort, and it's not just one small regional resource, and there aren't, there aren't major parts of the country left out. This is really a national-level resource, and it's free. They're getting steadily now over 2 million inquiries a month. So really, this is being recognized and used, and if you're not already using it for your Dutch research, you'll want to. Would you like to hear what's in there? Oh, I'd love to. And I, and I want to know, is it all going to be uh, in the original language? And how do we cope with that? Okay. Well, the one thing that's really nice about Genlias is that it helps you with the language barriers. It helps you understand how to search. It helps, to, helps you to understand the search results. So really, it will walk you through everything. So the information is taken mostly from the civil register. There are a few parish records in there. There's a little bit of financial information. And what you're going to see there is births before 1903, marriages before 1933, and deaths before 1953, because those are all public access now. So they'll give you, you can search um, by several different fields that you can go in and take a look at yourself. But the types of, um, it will point you to these records. They're just abstracts that you'll see. But then it will help you locate and request the original records. And an original birth record doesn't have a whole lot, the name of the child, the parents, the date of birth, sometimes the parent's address. But a marriage record that it will point you to has more. Often it has the names of the parents of the bride and the groom and their their birthplaces of the bride and groom, uh, widower status, widow status, and even ages and professions. So when you get to the death record, it actually has the most information. It's going to have the name and the date, um, the name of the uh, deceased parents, and sometimes the, uh, the deceased place of birth, a spouse name, and even an address for where the, the last residence was. So really you can get to from here, it's just an abstract form, but from here you'll be able to get to records that will really help you learn a lot more about your ancestors. 
Oh, gosh, it's really a gold mine, I think, for those with Dutch ancestry, and um, very understandable why it ended up in the 101 best websites for tracing your roots. Um, Sunny, thank you for this quick overview of genlias.nl, and we will have a link in the show notes for you to get you all started. Um, thank you so much for coming on back to the show and uh, giving us this kind of little virtual tour of a wonderful website. No problem. Thanks for having me. successfully trace your ancestors in the old country, you'll need an understanding of Germany's history, its records, and your family's path to America. Well, a great place to gain that knowledge is through the Find Your German Roots course. It's offered at Family Tree University, and here to talk to us more about it and this unique area of research is the instructor, Jim Beidler. Welcome back, Jim. Hello there, Lisa. Great to have you here. You know, a couple of years ago, I remember sitting in on one of your classes that, that you spent that hour just focusing on the history of Germany. And I went in kind of skeptical, but boy, was it a big help to me as I was tackling my own German ancestry at that time. So explain to the audience why learning the history of the country is so important to, be, to being successful in your research. Well, you're absolutely right, Lisa. It's very, very important. Uh, not that, not that uh, history and genealogy don't go hand in hand, no matter the ethnic group, no matter what you're, you're researching. Uh, but one of the, one of the things uh, that uh, is distinctive about German history is, is its history of disunity. Uh, there really was not a Germany until the year 1871. Uh, that was the first time in its history uh, that that there was a unified uh, German state. Uh, before that, there were a lot of smaller states. If you go back to the the 1700s and earlier, there there was a constellation of more than a thousand small German states. Uh, some of them. Uh, just city states, some of them that you could could ride a horse across uh, you, know, you know in one day, uh, and as a result, the records are also uh, somewhat fractured uh, and there's there's no for instance there's no equivalent in Germany of uh, our national archives uh, it's more state archives and church archives that you have to work with, uh, so knowing the history is what will help you uh, determine. Uh, where your German ancestor, what state they came from. Exactly. And all those boundary changes, isn't that true? I mean, just um, helping them figure out how to match that up with the time frame so you get to the right place. Absolutely. Yeah, you, that's, a, that's a good point because, uh, you know, you had all these uh, noble families and as one would uh, die out and go extinct their land, uh, you know, it's not, not, so, not so neat like it would be given to a neighbor. <laughs> given, it would be given to uh, maybe uh, a, um, a duke or other noble who was mile, hundreds of miles away as part mm-hmm. of his domain. Uh, so, so to try to figure, and then the, the records, you know, may have ended up in that, uh, nobility's archives, you know, which may be hundreds of miles away from the actual village. Exactly. Now, in your class, I know that you teach about the types of records that are found in Germany, but, um, you really don't have to be able to read German to be able to work with those records, do you? 
Well, I, I, w- I would I would hedge just a, a little bit uh, that uh, that certainly knowing some German what I what I nickname Tombstone German. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, the, the words that the words that Jill the kind of basic genealogy vocabulary is certainly helpful. Uh, but uh, but no, there there are, are a lot of things that uh, that are in English. Yeah, and things like Google Translate are your friend. You know, if you if you run into the German web pages, you can generally you know get them get them translated. Not always the best translation, right? And do that. Uh, yeah, there's a and and a lot of the uh, records you'll run into, like like a key to German research is church re- registers, baptisms, marriages, and burials, and for the most part, they follow a template. So even if you don't know the words in between the main words, you can pick out the names, the dates, and and so forth that the the essentials to to reading that record uh, uh, for it to be of use to you. Yes, I, I love that as I was working with the German um, church records that I got so familiar with the headings of each category. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually moving through these records now and just having a little cheat sheet, <laughs> you know, next to me. Well, finally, I know that determining the town of origin is um, really key to being successful with German ancestors. What does that involve? Do most people have success with that? Well, uh, I would I would say most do. Uh, I mean, sometimes it can can take years or or even decades. Uh, I just recently uh, found my Bidler immigrant ancestors town of origin after about fifteen years of searching. Wow. Uh, but but wow. uh, the the first thing to do really is to to look through you know do a timeline of your ancestor in America, finding every record you can about that person because you never know what record might name a town uh, a naturalization or their tombstones i've found villages named on people's tombstones because germans are are nothing if if not anal retentive <laughs> and and uh, you you have you have just a wealth of of information on records where where, whereas uh, other ethnic groups, you, know, you might just might just have name, name, uh, year, birth year, dash, and death year. You, you a lot of times have a lot more information. Uh, so work through the American records to see if you find a find a town of origin. That's your your best thing. Uh, then another another thing that I recommend is using family searches uh, international genealogical index that's you know that's part of still part of its website uh, on the IGI a lot of german church records were abstracted in the uh, the 70s and 80s and put into that IGI so you know if you don't have a of, you know, an extremely common German surname. Uh, you can look in the IGI, of course, look for your ancestor. But failing that, you can do what do what I do. You know, look for clusters of that surname in particular villages in Germany or or particular villages in one area of Germany, and then that would be your your focus of of going forward. Well, genealogists with German roots certainly have a wealth of resources available to them to help them discover their past. And we are so lucky that Germans have been known to be meticulous record keepers throughout their long history. So if you want to learn more about how to get the most out of those records and really discover your German ancestry, Jim's class, Find Your German Roots, is really the place to be. Um, You know, classes are starting up on a regular basis. You can sign up over at FamilyTreeUniversity.com, and I'll have a link for you in the 
the show notes that takes you directly to Jim's class. Jim, thank you so much for stopping by again. You're welcome, Lisa. Well, as we wrap up this August 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, you know, we've been talking about roots around the world, and I know you've got a lot of great resources for us. Tell us about them. Well, first, I'd like to remind everybody about the Family Tree University virtual conference that's coming up this August 19th through 21st. That includes an ethnic research track. So we have some classes in there um, on Irish and British and German research that um, I think will be very helpful to a lot of listeners. Um, And there's still time to get involved in that. Um, go to FamilyTreeUniversity.com, or you can buy those classes individually at ShopFamilyTree.com after the conference is over. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. That's kind of a first, the virtual conference where you can check in and, and watch at your leisure and just attend class right from the comfort of your home. Yeah, we're really excited about it, and I'm, I'm personally looking forward to getting in there and participating in the chats and um, getting to see and hear about all of the stuff that our um, participants are learning. Now, there's individual Family Tree University ethnic classes as well, correct? So they could take these at any time during the year. Right. Um, Our online courses that last four weeks, um, we have ones on Polish and Czech and Slovak, Irish, and then we have a couple more coming this fall on Hungarian and American Indian, um, as well as the German courses that Jim Beidler talked about earlier in the episode. Exactly. Oh, that's great that you're adding the Hungarian and the American Indian to the the slate because it's really filling out. It is. And, you know, that's really been an area that our students have been asking for. So we're bringing those classes to you by popular demand. Fantastic. Now, what about CDs, things that we can take with us and and are searchable and kind of ongoing reference? Oh, you bet. Now, the two that um, I recommend most in terms of researching your roots around the world are the International Genealogy Passport CD. That's a directory of resources covering the entire world. So, you know, lots of European representation because lots of our readers have European roots, but also, you know, different areas of the world, um, even including, you know, Latin America and Africa and Asia. Um, So that's really, like I said, a directory. So there's books, websites, um, organization listings to help you sort of as a springboard to doing your research. And we also have the Family Tree Passport to Europe, which obviously is focused exclusively on the European nations. And that's a collection of guides from the magazine uh, for 22 different countries and areas of Europe. So we cover the gamut and there's lots of detailed tips and advice in there. I love the passport CDs. <laughs> I love being able to pop them in there and go search for something real quick. And, and you just get that comprehensive listing for whatever the uh, country is that you're focusing on. Those are fantastic. Um, we're going to have links to all of those great resources so that you can keep on researching those routes around the world. Allison, they all sound great. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you next month. Thank you. Talk to you next month. Thanks so much for joining me for this August 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. 
First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. You'll find that at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including the Dutch research site, Jen Lias. Then while you're at the Family Tree Magazine website, you can click on Shop Family Tree and check out the international CDs that Allison told us about. And registration is going on right now for Jim Beidler's Find Your German Roots course. That's at Family Tree University. The next class is starting up pretty soon, Monday, August 29th of 2011. If you have any questions or comments, please do email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me over at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.